Hey, good morning, Hershey Free. Thank you again for joining us. My name's Nick. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and I'm so excited to be continuing in our series in the book of Colossians called Deeply Rooted Together. This is a series specifically designed to help us understand how we can be rooted in Christ, and in so being rooted in Him, we can also be deeply rooted together with one another. Specifically, as we are coming out of this time of COVID, is as guidelines and restrictions are being rolled back and we are able to re-engage, we need to be thinking, how can we still be united and rooted well together? This morning, we are going to be specifically in Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8 and going all the way until verse 23. And we're going to be looking at a topic that, that might be a little bit difficult for some of us. We're going to be looking at this understanding of of false teaching and how false teaching or false leading or ideologies can take us captive. And we need to say, okay, how how do we know what a false teaching is? How do we respond to that? And then what do we do with it? And so this morning, I I want to kind of start off with a hard truth for us. And the hard truth is this, is that false teaching, false teaching is always going to pull at our hearts. Now, that's not saying that false teaching is always going to pull you away from Jesus. But the reality is there are false teachings in our world that are consistently trying to pull us away from the truth of the gospel. And a false teaching can be defined really as anything that goes against the Bible, who God is, or presents itself as a biblical authority or grounds for biblical authority. When in fact all it is doing is presenting a personal ideology, a personal preference, or perhaps a feeling. And the reality is that that this type of false teaching can look very much like bold-in-the-face false teaching, like a straight-up heresy, or it could come in simple conversations that we don't even catch. But we need to be prepared for this. We have to guard our hearts and our thoughts. We cannot allow for false teachings to take us captive. We have to protect ourselves and instead allow for God's Word to have full control over our lives. You see, here's the thing, though. Oftentimes, we allow for these subtle subtle teachings that aren't from God's word to actually pull us away from the fellowship that God has designed for us. They pull us away from one another. And we go, I don't like when my church does X. I don't like when my church does Y. I don't like that there are people that I disagree with within the body of Christ. But here's the thing. No church is ever going to please you 100%. And, And the reality is this. God's word, the teachings of God's word, should challenge you. They should convict you, and they should evoke change. Let me make this very clear. If you are at a church and you are hearing everything you want to hear, you walk out feeling great every Sunday, like there's no need for change, no need for growth, that's probably not a good church to be in. The reality is this, is that when you hear God's word, because we are ever growing, we are still broken, sinful beings, we need to be growing in God's word. And if you never see a desire for growth, or if you never see places or areas within your life that need to be tweaked or changed, we're missing the mark. You see, you will never agree 100% with everything a church does or says, but that shouldn't keep you from fellowshipping with other believers who are rooted in Christ. You see, one of my favorite things about when we get to heaven is that, like we're all going to be there, and the one thing we're going to agree on is Jesus is king. But we're going to have people from all different walks, political ideologies, countries, time periods, colors, creeds, races, and we're all going to be united under the banner that is Christ. And while we're here on earth, this church, the churches we are a part of are just a glimpse of what heaven should be like. 
You may not always agree with me, and that's probably a good thing. Man, could you picture if you had multiple clones of me running around? That would not be a fun place. One of me is way too much to handle. But we allow for these subtle differences, these subtle like, distractions to become major issues. Let me kind of give you a case in point. I love coffee. Most of you know this. I've talked about this a few times before when I've preached. This is actually one of my favorite coffees to make during the summer months. It's a Pete's blend. It's called Major Dickinson's Blend. My wife, Elise, and I, we love to make cold brew with this specific coffee all during the summer. In fact, I will probably go through this bag in a week. It's kind of sad, but it's a, it's a good habit to have, right? And now here's the thing, though. I fully believe that coffee is a gift from God. And I fully believe that as a Christian, we should be drinking coffees, you know? Like, that's just how we fellowship, right? You come in, you grab a cup of coffee in the morning before church, you sit down, you're drinking your coffee, you're just fellowshipping. But did you know that there are people who don't like coffee? In fact, Pastor George, okay, our senior pastor, Pastor George hates coffee. He's a Diet Coke guy or a sweet tea guy. And what, what blows my mind is George doesn't drink coffee. And in my mind, I'm going, I think that's a sin. <laughs> you know? But here's the cool thing. Pastor George and I still get the fellowship. We're not breaking our relationship. I'm not looking for a new job. George isn't firing me, I hope, because I like coffee. But here's the thing. We can laugh over this because we're like, Nick, it's a, it's a bag of coffee. And no, I don't really think if you don't drink coffee that you're sinning. But sometimes something as minor as a bag of coffee has actually been cause for us to break fellowship with other believers. And sometimes those minor things aren't even the teachings of the gospel. It goes back to that personal preference, an ideology, or a feeling. And the Apostle Paul is writing to a church, the church of Colossae right now, and he's challenging these believers. He's saying, look, don't let these things pull you away. Don't let these minor things divide the church. And my hope is that this morning, is as we dig into what Paul tells us, how to take captive our hearts and our thoughts and not allow for false teaching to break in, that it would allow for us to fellowship with one another at a deeper level, to be so deeply rooted as we are with Christ that we are in that same way rooted with one another. So check out what we read in Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Paul writes this, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow or deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made them a public spectacle, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. 
The reality, however, is found in Christ. So do not let anyone who delights in false humility in the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you die with Christ to those elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based merely on human commands and teachings. Such regulations, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their false treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. This is an incredibly powerful passage, and the reality is that we could spend weeks just dissecting the truths within this text of digging deep into like what false teaching looks like, of digging into the, the supremacy of Christ and his headship over, over the body. We could dig deep into the meanings of what it looks like to be connected together as believers who are rooted in Christ. But this morning, I want to focus really on two things. How are we taken captive? What do we need to be mindful of? And then how do we protect ourselves from being taken captive by those things that are pulling us away from God. So first, the things that take us captive, the first way we are taken captive is by hollow and deceptive teaching. And Paul talks about this right away in verse 8 when he says, see to it you're not taken captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and elemental spiritual forces rather than on God. Paul is saying, look, there are people out there who are teaching things that may sound like they're from God's word. They may sound like they're from the Bible, but they're not. The reality is people can take God's word and they can twist it, contort it, put it into a, a TED talk and proclaim it to be God's word, but it's not. Just because you can quote a passage of scripture or put up a slide with a passage of scripture does not mean that what you are saying is from God's word. And Paul is saying, look, you have to be on guard against this. If you go to a church that is all about me, it's all about the individual, and it's not about Christ, that is not a church that we should be a part of. A church should be preaching Christ, that he came, that he died for us, that he sacrificed himself on our behalf. But if all we're doing is saying, hey, here's a way for you to be a happier, better person, man, that's not the gospel. And Paul's saying we need to prepare ourselves. We need to be on on guard against these hollow and deceptive teachings that come out of the world. In fact, if we, if we jump down again to verse 18, Paul actually says, don't let anyone who delights in false humility, the worship of angels, disqualify you. He's saying, look, if these people are up there and they're, they're presenting themselves in this pompous, false humility type of way, if they're, if they're teaching about things that, that aren't God, we're missing the mark. So the first thing that we need to do is we need to make sure that we are not being taken captive by hollow and deceptive teaching. And the reality is this, is again, it can come in in subtle ways, or it can come in big, loud, in-your-face style ways. One of the things I've seen coming out of this pandemic is we have allowed for for some of these false teachings, unfortunately, to take root. And what happens sometimes is we allow for, for teachings which aren't necessarily bad to take the place of Christ. And what we've done is we've settled for something good rather than something that is great. 
We've settled for something that's temporary. Things that are fading with time in place of something ultimate and supernatural. And Paul is saying we should not allow for that to happen. So we have to be on guard. We have to protect our hearts and our thoughts from hollow and deceptive teaching. Another way that that we see that we are taken captive is by questioning our identity in Christ. In verses 9 through 15, Paul just, man, he just lays it out, out there about who Jesus is. Check this out. In Christ is all the fullness of the deity. In Christ, we have been brought the fullness. In him, we were circumcised, not by human hands, but by him. In him, we are made whole, having been buried with him in baptism and raised from the dead. When we were dead in our sins, Christ made us alive and forgave us. Like, do you hear the power of who God is? And the reason that Paul is articulating this is because it is so easy for us to forget that. It is so easy for us, especially in our world and our culture today, to look to find our identity in other things, people, groups, tribes, and we say, this is who I am. And Paul goes, don't forget who you are first and foremost. You're a child of God. That, that, that Christ, the Son of God, came as a human, came as a man to live among us, to experience this life and to die as our sacrifice and to pay the debt we couldn't afford. He's saying, don't forget your identity. Don't question your identity in him. Know that you are chosen, you are bought, you are set apart. That is who you are. But false teaching, false narratives, false truths, what they do at their core is they cause us to question who we are in Christ. They cause us to question who our fellow believers are in Christ as well. That person couldn't be a Christian. I know who they are. And God knows who we are. We should not question our identity in Christ, but rather rest in it. We also see then that we were taken captive by thoughts, rules, and guidelines that are not needed. In verses 20 through 21, Paul, Paul hashes this out. He's like, he's like, don't be taken captive by these elemental spiritual forces and those who tell you, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And really what Paul is saying, he's like, man, you guys, you guys here in this church in Colossae, you've gone back to the old ways. You've reverted back to, to your Judaic customs. Of I can't eat certain things, I can't drink certain things, I can't do certain things on a certain day, or I have to follow all these rules. And Paul's like, you are set free. Christ didn't come and die to put you in bondage. Christ came to die to set you free. Free from all the things that hold us in bondage and in slavery and captivity. Paul's saying you are free from that. But so often, I think we default back to this. Even within our faith as Christians, we default back to to a rules-based or a works-based lifestyle because it's what we know. For some reason, there's comfortability in that of doing things a certain way, a certain time, a certain order, and we go, this is okay. And Paul's going, Christ died to set you free from that. Christ has freed you from legalism. Christ has freed you from works-based salvation. That is not what we're about. It is by grace that we are set free. Not by anything that we have done. It doesn't matter what we wear to church. It doesn't matter if you show up in jeans and a t-shirt. It doesn't matter if you come in a three-piece suit. There is no qualification within Scripture for what you should dress like when you walk into the church building. 
It doesn't matter what service you go to. It doesn't matter how you show up and praise God just as long as you show up and worship Him. But the reality is we go back to where we're comfortable. And and Paul wants us to understand it's not about the legalism. It's not about the rules. It's not about the structure. He's going to about Christ. He died to set you free. So we are taken captive by hollow and deceptive teaching, by questioning our identity with Christ, by, by going back to rules, thoughts, and guidelines that aren't needed. And lastly, we are taken captive by the enticement of this world. And in verse 23, Paul says this, he goes, such regulations, going back to here, he's saying such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. And what Paul is saying is this, as he's going back, he's saying, hey, there are a lot of people out there who are peddling themselves as teachers of God's word. And it couldn't be further from the truth. There are people out there who they appear that they have all the wisdom and the knowledge, but they have this self-imposed worship. Really, it's me-centric worship. He's going, they have this false humility. Really, they're arrogant and prideful. You need to be on guard. And also how they treat other people in the body of Christ is a clear testimony to whether it's about God or themselves. And Paul's saying, you have to be on guard with that. And I'm going to say something to you right now, maybe you've never heard before. But what you should be doing is when anybody takes the stage, stands in the pulpit, gets up and starts to exposit God's word, you should make sure they're expositing God's word. You shouldn't take what we say and simply go, oh yeah, that's God's word. Man, dig into it. Read this passage. Go in there and, and, and just say, does this really teach what we have heard? We should be looking to our leaders and teachers and respecting them, but we should also be making sure that what they're saying is from the gospel. We have to be willing to say, is what is being taught an ideology, a personal preference, or is it truly the word of God that is being exposited? Because if it's not, that person is not fit to speak into your life in your identity as a Christ follower. So what do we do with all of this then? Because I can stand up here and preach to you until I'm blue in the face about how we shouldn't be given to following false teachings or false narratives or ideologies. But what do we actually do? How do we protect ourselves from this? How do we make sure that we allow God to have our hearts and our thoughts instead of this world? Well, I think the first way that we do this is actually really easy. We have to know and follow God's word so that we're not deceived. Because here's the thing. If we simply take people at their word Because I could turn on the television, I could turn on Facebook, Instagram, any day of the week. And I could find people who are using Bible verses and quoting scripture. But it is not God's word that they are teaching. It is really easy to take something out of context and use it to fit your narrative rather than to allow it to be God's word spoken in truth to change the lives of people and bring them into a relationship with him. And the only way we are going to be able to acknowledge and discern that is if we know and follow God's word. Do you know God's word? And not just the passages that everybody knows and memorizes. Do you know God's word? Do you know his desire for a relationship with you? Do you understand how he's calling you to be different, for your identity to be rooted in him and him alone? We must know and follow God's word so we are not deceived. But we should also live as people who are free in Christ. I love this. In in this chapter, Paul brings it all back. He's like, in verse 16, therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or regard to the Sabbath, the religious festivals, new moon celebration or the Sabbath day. These are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in 
Christ. Paul's going, check this out. Don't let people judge you by what you eat, drink, or what you do. He's saying, let people see Jesus in you. There is freedom in Christ. You are not bound to the restrictions, the legalism, the guidelines of this world. You're bound by Christ. Christ sets you free. So you are free indeed. And what that means for us then is as we engage with one another, there will be differences. But these differences are not cause for division. Throughout this last year, what has grieved my heart in so many ways for the the church as a whole is I have seen minor issues become major. I've seen minor questions or concerns become reasons to divide, to leave, and to forget. I've seen relationships shattered over things that are trivial. We become tribalistic. We become so firm in a stance that does not need to be a hill that we die upon. And in so doing, we've severed relationships. In so doing, we've cast out friends and family. That was never Christ's desire. You see, what we need to be doing is we understand that we are free, and because we are free, we will have differences of opinions Differences of even how we put into practice our theology and and doctrine. We'll have different viewpoints on politics. We'll have different viewpoints on how we should live out our relationship with Jesus. But those are not cause for division. Instead, what we should be doing is focusing on the major tenets of our faith, the core doctrinal principles, and letting that define us, and then allowing the minor things to remain minor. There is freedom, not bondage. And we need to be willing to say that some of these things that perhaps we've held on to, they are not ultimate. They are not God. That should be how our relationship with God works out in our lives, into those areas. And in understanding that, then that should give us a freedom, the ability to build relationships and fellowship with one another. It also then means that we need to live as a community that's united by our worship of God. That's exactly what this comes back to. When we understand that God is ultimate, that he is our focus, that that is who we are about. And when we focus on the majors and not the minors, we are united as a unique, fluid, diverse body of Christ followers who exist for our sole purpose to bring glory and honor and worship to him. That is who we are. That is our identity. And that should then transform how we engage with this church. You see, I think so often we come to church and say, how can you fill me up? What am I getting out of it? How do I feel better coming out of it? It's not just that. There is a two-part methodology to church. It's like, yes, you receive, but you also give. You pour into the community, not just receiving from it. And that means that we have to love one another, even when we don't agree. I can tell you with all sincerity, my love for coffee does not mean I love Pastor George any less because he does not love coffee like I do. In fact, I can tell you that this coffee actually does nothing for my relationship with Pastor George. That Pastor George is is one of my best friends on his church staff and I would step into the fire for that guy because he's shown me exactly this. He's shown me what real fellowship looks like. He's led outwards with it. 
He has a heart for people to know who Jesus is, and that permeates everything about who he is. And I'm not up here just to sing Pastor George's praises, but I'm, I'm letting you know that, that these minor differences should not ever keep us from loving one another. I would be willing, if it came down to it today, if my love of coffee was keeping me from loving somebody in the body of Christ, I would give coffee up for good. If for me, if, if loving somebody else meant that I had to die to myself, I would happily do it for the sake of the body so that Christ could be glorified. We have to be willing to love one another even when we don't agree. And lastly, I think it's that we need to realize that a lack of control leads to fear. And here's what I mean by that. Paul talked a lot in this passage about how people would go back to old habits, old rhythms. And I think we even do that as followers of Jesus now. We go back to, to how we were raised, whether it was legalistic or fundamental. We go back to, to hey, it has to only be a certain way. We, we hold those sacred cows within Christendom. And I think we do that out of fear. Because in some ways, as followers of Jesus, we realize that we don't have control. It's only in him that we have control because he's in control. And when we go back to the rules, the regulations, the traditions, the ideologies, it's because in our mind we can control them. We can put them in our box and just keep them there when and how we want them and make it work for us. And Paul's saying that's not what it's about. Christ didn't die so you had to follow rules. He, he died to set you free so you could follow him. So let me ask you today, are you giving in the fear? Are you reverting back because there's some semblance of control? Are you allowing for the teachings, ideologies, and personal preferences to become ultimate when Christ should be ultimate? You see, because when we realize all these things and we commit to Christ overall, we don't forsake or break fellowship. We don't bounce from a church because of a disagreement the color of the coffee, the, the, the color of the coffee, wow, the color of the carpet or the taste of the coffee. We don't leave because we don't like a certain sermon. We stay deeply rooted because we care about the body. And we want to challenge one another to grow as we seek to edify and live out the mission that Christ has called us to. So Hershey Free, let me ask you this. Are you deeply rooted with Christ? And are you deeply rooted in the fellowship of the community of believers together, even when there are differences? Let me pray for us this morning. Awesome God, we thank you so much just for the opportunity to be challenged, to be pushed on our faith, Father. God, let your word be alive and vibrant in our lives. Let that be how we discern the teachings and truths of this world, Father. Father, may we not forsake fellowship over disagreements or differences of opinion, preference, ideology. But Father, may we engage in community and fellowship because of you and you alone. May we live and edify Christ. May we demonstrate Christ in all of our relationships. And we pray this in your name. Amen. 
I do have a couple of quick reminders for you this morning as we conclude. The first is that you can pick up one of our prayer guides, whether you want to stop in and pick up a physical copy at, at Hershey Free, you're welcome to do that. But we also have a PDF version for you at hfcinfo.com, along with a bunch of other helpful information like study guides and questions to help you dig deeper into exactly what we're talking about each week, to dig deeper and to do exactly what we said we should be doing in digging into God's Word and saying, is this true? Is what we heard this morning, is this true? And then how does this apply to my life? I also want to remind you that we are here for you, and we want to walk with you and partner with you. And for weekly prayer reminders, as we continue to pray through this, this, this book of Scripture, as we continue to dig deep into it, we'll send out weekly text reminders to help you stay in it and to think through creative ways to engage with this text. All you have to do is text DRT, right, deeply rooted together, to 717-537-9172, and you'll start getting those texts. We promise we won't spam you. It's all just to help you in your faith walk as we journey together to be deeply rooted in Christ. Hey, Hershey Free, we love you. We care about you, and I hope we get to see you guys soon. Have a great week.